I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth and Mission. The city has a ton of office space for lease, enough to fill 11 Salesforce towers. It also has a homeless crisis and a housing shortage. So why not turn the empty office space into housing? Chronicle reporter Roland Lee discusses why that's a lot harder than it sounds. He's also giving us some alarming statistics about the city's decimated tourist industry and how long it will take to recover. Roland Lee, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. So you have two super interesting stories related to the future of San Francisco's beleaguered downtown on sfchronicle.com now. I wanted to ask you about both of them, but we will start with um, the situation related to office space. There's a ton that's empty, and there's a question of what to do with it. I was pretty shocked by the statistics in your story. So can we start with telling listeners first just how much office space is available for lease in San Francisco? Yeah, I mean, it's really bad. It's probably the worst market um, since the dot-com bust in the early 2000s. Um, maybe even the worst in modern history is what I've heard from some people. Uh, so 19% is vacant, which is you know, almost one in five buildings. It's, you know, the real number of empty offices is much higher because almost everyone can't return to work yet. Um, it's just not safe to do so. Um, half of that 19% vacancy is actually sublease space, which is pretty unusual. So it's other tenants who want to basically downsize their offices as opposed to landlords trying to lease the space. Mm-hmm. Um, so one caveat is that the sublease space um, has you know, a lease signed for it already. So the tenant will have to pay rent even if they don't find another tenant. Um, so that actually means this, the office market is a little stronger than it looks, but it's still really bad. It's probably the worst um, in at least two decades. And you said that that was enough space to total 11 Salesforce towers, which is pretty incredible to think about. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, if you just think about that, you could potentially house, you know, tens of thousands of people in there. Um, But for now, a lot of those buildings are locked up. Yeah. Why is there so much space for lease? Of course, we know that a lot of tech workers and others are still working from home. But um, is this just a lot of companies leaving the city and wanting to offload their offices or, or what? Yeah, I mean, we haven't actually seen that many companies say, like, we're moving headquarters to Texas. Um, you know, there are a couple in Silicon Valley, um, Oracle and Hewlett Packard Enterprise, which are some of the oldest names in Silicon Valley. But I haven't seen any, you know, major companies in San Francisco say, like, we're done, we're completely out. But they have said, you know, we're going to basically have a smaller office after this. Um, workers can maybe come in two or three days a week if they want. Or um, Twitter said everyone could stay home if they or almost everyone could stay home forever if they want to. Um, and as a result, they're gonna say like, okay, like half the space we don't need, let's try to get someone else to lease it from us. Um, and it's, so it's a lot of downsizing, it's not so much um, exodus, I would say. Yeah, so places like Twitter will still have a presence in the city, but they won't need as much office space as they did before the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, they were very clear to me, this is still our headquarters in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Or at least still has years left on it. Okay. So um, an idea has come up, and I've heard it um, suggested by many people over the past several months, that why aren't we turning some of this empty office space into housing? We have had a homeless crisis for decades in San Francisco, and even more people have been um, have fallen into poverty because of job loss during the pandemic. And we've always had just a general housing shortage um, for all types of socioeconomic groups. So what, is, what about the feasibility of doing that? Is that a good idea, or is, is it harder than it sounds? Yeah, a ton of readers have, have asked about this. Um, 
And I think it has been done in the past. Um, so it's not impossible, but from talking to a number of architects and developers, um, basically the takeaway is there's no way something like Salesforce Tower is going to become housing. Um, the office space is still super valuable. Um, you know, it's about like I mean, probably over $90 a square foot um, per year. So that's like a huge amount. It's some of the most valuable real estate in the country. And that's not going to happen. Um, the opportunity, however, might be in smaller, older buildings, um, you know, kind of historic buildings that uh, you know, aren't necessarily as lucrative as modern class A space. Um, so some of the cool examples that I uh, found in the past, actually one was really close to home because it was the former Chronicle office um, oh. on Market Street. So uh -huh. that used to be um, you know, the original offices for the newspaper, but it essentially was um, turned into just standard office space. Um, and then right after the dot-com crash in 2000, uh, the Ritz-Carlton decided to convert into condos with a local developer. And mm -hmm. so it's basically the facade was actually restored to the original brick, um, which took a lot of work and effort. And there was a small uh, addition built on it that's a modern addition. And, you know, apartments or condos there go for you know, over a million dollars now, right on Market Street. Wow. So, mm -hmm. I mean, clearly, you know, projects can be done, but uh, given the amount of effort and complexity, you're probably not going to get affordable housing out of them, um, mm -hmm. except for what the city mandates. So, you know, it's just, that's a challenge. It's not necessarily going to add the kind of affordable housing that a lot of people want. Um, Why is it so hard to make it into affordable housing? What are some of the issues? Because it seems like, you know, if you have tons of individual offices, you could just kind of easily convert them to small apartments, but I'm probably missing something. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you think about an office, there's usually just like one bathroom per floor. Um, there's a lot of just open space. Um, mm -hmm. You know, some of these tech companies have kitchens, which is cool, but a lot of the older buildings do not, anything, do not have anything like that. Um, and if you're going to break those into apartments, you need to have a window for every apartment. That's the law. Mm -hmm. You need to have some sort of you know, access to the outside light. Um, the city actually requires open space for every unit, um, unless you got a waiver. So you have to find some way to build out like a plaza or like courtyard or balcony. Um, so that's another hurdle. And then, you know, you have to basically build out like plumbing for each kitchen and bathroom, um, sewage pipes, electricity for the kitchen, um, air ventilation. So this is a ton of changes. It's a very different use to have, you know, these little um, apartments as opposed to one giant kind of open space for people to work in. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of um, just zoning approvals needed, um, design challenges, and then it, you know, can often take two years or more to get any product approved in San Francisco. Um, and, you know, who knows what the economy, the economy will look like then and um, where current rise will be, hopefully, much less of a problem. So do you think most um, owners of this empty space will just wait and hold out for future tenants in the office realm? Yes. With the hope that the economy will come back? Yeah, so, I mean, the city planning department told me there's been no conversion proposals yet. Um, you know, it's been now a year since the pandemic started. So it really seems like landlords are waiting. Um, the vaccine rollout is still a huge kind of wild card, but if that goes well, you know, maybe people come back this summer and uh, things start coming back to normal and you don't need to do anything. Mm -hmm. The architects I talked to said that there are conversations for sure about this, but um, as of yet, yeah, people are just kind of waiting and um, 
seeing when offices do reopen, what will things look like? Mm-hmm. You did highlight one recent example um, where this worked to turn an office building into housing, which is at 100 Van Ness. Um, and why did that one go well? And why was that considered feasible? Yeah, so that um, building is right next to City Hall. Um, and if you look at the old photos, it was considered to be quite an eyesore. It's, it's really heavy concrete, um, you know, mid-century, mid-20th century building. But it had a lot of advantages because it was you know, almost 400 feet tall in a pretty um, low-rise area. I mean, the only really tall building around there is City Hall. Um, so you get this great view of City Hall. And then, um, you know, after around the time the project was approved, uh, Twitter moved in just a few blocks away. Uber and Square also have headquarters there um, on Market Street. So it's a really pretty prime location. Um, and the, the city really didn't like the current building or the previous building. It was having this ugly concrete structure there. Um, next to City Hall, no less, was really seen as an eyesore. So that project was approved in, um, according to the developer in nine months, which is super fast. Um, and it was just coming out of the 2008 recession. Um, there are four sides that are open to light and air. And the rooftop deck has probably some of the best views I've seen in the city. You can see the Golden Bridge. You can see City Hall right there. Um, you know, deep into Soma, like you can even see like Hunters Point Shipyard in there. It's really incredible, um, you know, a big amenity if you're trying to rent it out as well. So I think that was really like, you know, someone called that the needle in the haystack. It's really an unusual building, um, the biggest conversion by far in city history. So finding something like that where there's already a tower built, um, in like a pretty kind of up and coming area is going to be really hard, um, you know, in get, getting something that works. It's just a really big challenge. Mm-hmm. And what is your prediction for what's going to happen to all this empty office space as we come out of the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's tricky to say. Um, I think you're clearly seeing big companies like Google and Facebook and Amazon um, still planning to expand. I mean, a lot of that growth is in the South Bay, but um, you know, last year Google signed uh, you know a pretty small lease for them, but they did sign a lease last year in the city. Um, in Rincon Center. So big tech has done really well this pandemic. I mean, they're just making record profits, um, even though a lot of other parts of the economy are struggling a lot. So I think it really has to do with how many of their workers go remote and, you know, if they decide to shift growth in other cities around the country instead of San Francisco, that'll have a huge impact. Um, You know, you you saw Salesforce also the biggest uh, hometown employer was also leasing space for sublease. So that's a, you know, pretty negative sign for office demand in the area as well. So I think that there's just a lot of uncertainty right now. Um, there's definitely tech growth that is still happening, but it's not nearly at the same rate as even a year ago. So um, I think it'll be interesting to see. I think if we see some big leases signed in the next couple months, that'll be a sign that maybe things are just gonna come back. Um, and also, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if there's any office housing conversions, but right now it seems like it'll be a challenge. Cool. Well, we're going to take a break now. And when we come back, I will ask you about your other story about the tourism industry. Roland Lee, you also have another interesting story on sfchronicle.com looking at the current state of the city's tourism industry. Historically, um, it has been essential to City Hall and San Francisco in general and its economy. And um, things are really bad. Can you describe... um, Again, you found some pretty alarming statistics, and can you give us a rundown? 
Yeah, I mean, we knew this was going to be a really bad year in 2020. Um, I was still pretty stunned. I mean, the city lost $8 billion in spending. That's um, you know, a 78% drop from 2019, which is a record year. Um, visitors were down 61% to 10.2 million, which actually seemed high to me, honestly. That was <laughs> better yeah, than I expected. Who's <laughs> but yeah, um, so I actually got a breakdown. Um, so 11% of those were business travelers. Huh. And then 89% were leisure travelers. Because if you remember, we did have conventions from January to around mid-March last year. So there was a you know, handful. Um, but yeah, that was down from 22% while travelers were business travelers in 2019. So cut in half there. Um, jobs were just absolutely devastated. So tourism is the biggest industry for the whole city. And there were uh, over 86,000 jobs supported before the pandemic by tourism. So that's hotels, restaurants, um, you know, tour groups, um, just a ton of different workers um, mm -hmm. that depend on conventions and leisure travelers. So that fell by 70, over 75% to 28,880. So that's uh, over 65,000 jobs lost, which wow. is staggering. I mean, that's like, you know, almost like 10% of the entire city population. And then uh, passengers at SFO were down uh, over 71%. So from 57.5 million in 2019 to 16.4 million last year. Mm -hmm. So just a terrible year. I mean, yeah. Worst year in modern history for tourism. How important is the tourism industry to San Francisco and, and how much did this plunge affect City Hall? Yeah, so um, in 2019, the tax revenue from tourism was $819 million. Um, remember, the city budget is about $10 billion, so it's almost 10% of the whole tax base is tourism, you know, that was down to 273 million in tax revenue last year. So, I mean, City Hall lost over half a billion dollars in taxes in one year. I mean, this is absolutely brutal. Wow. Um, that's about the size of the, you know, almost all the deficit actually. So, you know, I think we're seeing this, this symbol, um, great symbol of this is Moscone Center, you know, went from becoming this huge convention hall, you know, just packed with people, 171,000 people for Dreamforce in 2019. And now it's, um, you know, at, at times it was the Department of Emergency Management headquarters, mm -hmm. you know, the people kind of confronting the crisis. Um, it's currently still being used as a homeless shelter. And now it's a mass vaccination site. So clearly things are not normal and still quite a far away from being normal. Yeah. You talked to Joe D'Alessandro, the head of SF Travel. And what did he say about, um, about how bad this has been and when he thinks tourism will, will return? Yeah, so he said it was you know, just absolutely devastating. Um, a full recovery of spending isn't expected until 2025, which you know, is quite a long ways off. Mm -hmm. um, things are expected to improve a bit this year, but still just not nearly close to what, what it was in 2019. You know, he did he did say part of this is safety, I and mean, we don't want to have you know, everyone to be coming back, and we don't want things to be packed, you know, this summer because vaccines are still not fully out. Um, we, he said we want to be safe about this, but um, you know, really key thing I think is getting conventions back. You know, he said that was by far the biggest engine for tourism spending, and um, we're still waiting on the state to say you know, how can you hold a convention safely with the guidelines. So I think that'll be a big step um, this spring. Um, there is a silver lining. There are some outdoor activities for visitors that are on the docket. So tell me about that. Yeah, so the A's just started ticket sales. I think there were unfortunately some technical glitches, but they're hoping to bring back people actually next month um, at a lower capacity. You know, that's outdoors, so I think it has a big advantage over 
um, you know, enclosed arena like Chase Center, mm-hmm. um, that would be a little more challenging. Uh, Outside Lands is not coming back in August, but it is uh, planned for Halloween weekend, which should be a lot of fun. It'll be cold, I think, but I would <laughs> I will definitely go um, as a fan. If, I, if that happens, I'll be really excited to go. Wear your layers. Yeah, absolutely. And the Giants should be back um, next month as well. You mentioned the A's. And on a personal note, what are your favorite tourist sites in San Francisco? Yeah, you know, I was really happy to go um, back to the Golden Gate Bridge uh, last weekend. And, you know, it was felt pretty safe. Uh, people were you know, wearing masks everywhere. The crowds weren't too big. This was on the Marin side. So it was really great just to see people out again and you know, enjoying this. I talked to some people um, you know, who were traveling from out of state. So I think tourism is kind of slowly starting to pick back up. Um, you know, big, I'm a big photography fan, so it would be cool to see people on the street again and you know, take some more kind of uh, street photography photos. Yes, you are, your photos are great. I oh, wish my, so I wish it was that good at a hobby. <laughs> oh, you're getting really good. I can see, see your Twitter posts. Like you've become an expert in the last year. Well, I'll have to take lessons from you and we can hang out again. Absolutely. Um, what are you looking forward to doing the most um, around San Francisco that you haven't been able to do over the past year? Yeah, I really miss concerts. My last one was um, February 2020, so really excited about. Who did you going. see? Um, Tycho, who's actually he played um, the Outside Lands um, online stream last year. So he's a local. Um, he's in Berkeley now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a local electronic musician. So um, unfortunately, he had to do an online performance, but hopefully this year he'll come back again. And uh, lastly, I have a very important question for you that could determine the future of our friendship. Do you support related to bringing tourists back? My call for a quick and full return of the cable cars. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the hotel managers I talked to today was said that was one of the biggest things that actually will help bring life to the kind of Palace Street area. Um, just having that energy again, people excited. I mean, if, I'm sure you remember there used to be like a mob there for the yeah, Palace Street, ends. like just like an absolute like just, you know total sign of how people were excited to be here you know, travel from a long way and just were waiting, willing to wait for some hours to board. Yeah. Um, so I think the city has said you know, you know, target for the fall to bring those back. One line. They're probably going to do Pal Hyde first. So I'm rooting for all three. But you passed the test because you said yes. Um, thank you very much for joining me today. It was good to talk to you. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you to Roland Lee for joining me today, to Karen Creighton for producing this episode, and to you for listening. 